Welcome to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Language is the key to cultural preservation, and the Eastern Band of Cherokee Indians in North Carolina have a network of programs to encourage the next generation of language speakers. An adult immersion program recently welcomed their first graduates. They're going on to spread the word to others about the importance of the Cherokee language. We'll hear from some of these speakers and talk to a longtime language advocate about the future of the Cherokee language. We're back after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. Students who are enrolled members of Wisconsin's 11 federally recognized tribes will get free tuition, housing, and other educational needs at the state's largest university, UW-Madison. Chuck Kornbach of Station WUWM has more. University officials say their aim is, starting next fall, to cover the full cost of pursuing an undergraduate degree for Native students who live in Wisconsin and meet tribal enrollment criteria. Tribal leaders helped develop the program and announce it at a Madison news conference. Shannon Holsey is president of the Stockbridge-Munsee Band of Mohican Indians and is chairwoman of the Great Lakes Intertribal Council. She noted that the UW campus sits on ancestral land of the Ho-Chunk Nation. Embedded in the land we stand on today lies the legacy of the Ho-Chunk people. Today is historic and cycle-breaking. Only about 650 of the UW-Madison's roughly 50,000 students identify to the school as American Indian or Alaska Native. Ho-Chunk President John Greendeer praises the tuition program but says he has some work to do to get Native students to consider higher education. Many of us are in the generation where if you went to college, you stopped learning about your ways and you stopped learning your language, and it was frowned upon. Now it's very much supported, very much needed. Lacoudere tribal member Callista Kadat is a third-year student at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. She encourages Native students to apply to the campus. And be able to achieve your goals. Um, it's not something that comes easy, but it's definitely doable. Campus officials say donors and institutional funds will pay for the program. A pilot effort will cover in-state tuition and fees for enrolled tribal members pursuing a law or medical degree at UW-Madison. For National Native News, I'm Chuck Kornbach. A conservation group says it sent more than 100 bison to tribes in Montana, South Dakota, and Washington. Montana Public Radio's Aaron Bolton reports. American Prairie sent 107 bison from its herd in eastern Montana to five tribes in November. 21 were sent to the Blackfeet Nation and Rocky Boy Tribe. The conservation nonprofit distributes bison to tribes every year. The Intertribal Bison Council says this helps tribes build their herds and diversify genetics. The bison are tested for brucellosis and other diseases before they are sent to tribes. American Prairie says the distribution also helps it maintain its own herd, which now stands at about 900. Restoring bison to the landscape is culturally important for tribes, which relied on the animals for centuries. In Columbia Falls, I'm Aaron Bolton. 
Minnesota's new state flag and seal design features the Dakota language. Last week, a state commission picked the design, which is a red-eyed loon on a lake surrounded by trees, the North Star, and wild rice. It features words in Dakota for land where the waters reflect the sky. The Star Tribune reports the current one has long drawn criticism for depicting colonization, featuring a white settler plowing a field and a Native American riding a horse into the sunset. The new design is set to become official in 2024 unless the state legislature vetoes it. The Dakota Ojibwe Tribal Council, the University of Manitoba, Disney Lucasfilm, and APTN announced Monday a partnership to create an Ojibwe version of Star Wars A New Hope. The project is part of language revitalization efforts. Auditions for voice actors are expected to take place in Winnipeg next year. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Fry bread, that's the message. Support by Val's Fry Bread, providing her famous fry bread mixes and other products in wholesale and retail quantities at valsfrybread.com. Fry bread that will take you home, available wherever you live. Native American-made gifts at Ho-Chunk Inc.'s Sweetgrass Trading Co. include food, beauty, and wellness items from across Turtle Island. Christmas delivery available for orders placed by December 18th at SweetgrassTradingCo.com. Ho-Chunk Inc. supports this show. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling, coming to you from the traditional homelands of the Eastern Band of Cherokee Indians. I'm Sean Spruce. The Cherokee Nation counts about 2,000 fluent Cherokee speakers. The Eastern Band of Cherokee Indians counts a little more than 100 fluent speakers. A growing number of dedicated people are working to build those numbers to make sure the language, both spoken and written, is carried on into the future by younger members of the tribe. There are both grade school and adult immersion programs, and a nearby university has a program dedicated to researching and teaching the Cherokee language. They're part of an increasing set of tools and resources offered to keep this language thriving. Today we'll hear from one of the most noted Cherokee language specialists, along with two second language learners who have developed a passion for speaking, understanding, and teaching this important connection to their culture. Please join today's conversation. Our number is 1-800-996-2848. Phone lines are open. That's 1-800-99-NATIVE. We are broadcasting live from the traditional homelands of the Eastern Band of Cherokee. It's a beautiful and sunny, but a chilly December day here in Western North Carolina, where I'm joined now by Tom Belt. He is Cherokee. Hello, Tom. Great to have you on Native America Calling today. Good morning, Bruce, and, it's, um, and I thank you very much for allowing me to be on this program. Also speaking with us today from the Snowbird community within the Kuala Boundary of the Eastern Cherokee is Kaylin Garland. She is a recent graduate of the Dariwanashi Language Program in Snowbird, and she is a citizen of the Eastern Band of Cherokee. Hi, Kaylin. Welcome to the show. Yo, thank you for having me. 
Shio. And joining us from Robbinsville, North Carolina is Cassidy Galavis. He is a language specialist and a teacher of the Cherokee language with the Dariwanashi language program. He's also an Eastern Band of Cherokee citizen. Hello, Cassidy. It's great to have you on the show as well. Shio, Sean. Thank you for the opportunity. I appreciate it. Shio. Well, Tom, I'm going to go ahead and start with you today. You've been involved with teaching and preserving the Cherokee language for many, many years. What got you started doing this work? Uh, I came to Western North Carolina in 1991 and uh, started teaching at the uh, Cherokee uh, Central Schools Elementary School in uh, 1993. And uh, I had never taught before I didn't, I wasn't certified as a teacher, um, but I, but uh, uh, fortunately, uh, being a first language speaker was enough uh, credentials uh, to, uh, to to allow the Cherokee uh, uh, Central Schools, which had its own contract uh, <clears throat> and was sanctioned by 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 the. Uh, State of North Carolina to teach. They went. Uh, they were able to hire me as an instructor, and so I began teaching then. And uh, I, as I said, I'd never uh, taught before, and so I learned um, how to teach as as I went along. And uh, and uh, the ultimate uh, gift of that endeavor was that I began to also learn more about my own language. Now, that's an interesting background. And of course, you are originally from Oklahoma, your Cherokee nation. So uh, Eastern Cherokee, the homeland of all Cherokee people. But was that an interesting adjustment coming here to North Carolina for the first time from Oklahoma? Well, it's more than just interesting. It is a reconnecting of of, um, of everything that you've been, if you are from Oklahoma, it's a reconnecting of everything that you've been told about who you are because who you are is intrinsically connected with place. And so when you come here, you're not just returning to a geographical area, you are returning to the place where you originated from. Now, Tom, you grew up speaking Cherokee as a young child. It was spoken in your home. Yes. And what was that like being raised in the Cherokee language and and learning English as a second language? I didn't learn... um, I didn't learn how to speak Cherokee until I entered the elementary schools and the public school system in in uh, in Oklahoma, and that would be when I was about six years old. Of course, that, I mean that's uh, when you learned English. Yes. Six years old. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I really didn't learn much of the uh, actual dynamics of the English language that first year because it was fairly new to me. I do remember knowing knowing simple things like when they said no or yes or uh or or move or those kinds of things but just that so consequently i was held back a year uh so i really didn't begin being in the first grade formally until i was you know like seven years old now tom your journey with the cherokee language is it similar to other fluent speakers of cherokee nation or is it a little bit different i think it's the same although uh for uh, my experience, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't uh, forced, or I wasn't uh, um, uh, actually 
no one told me I couldn't speak Cherokee during the day when I was in elementary school when I was in first grade. They would just wait until they tried to communicate with me or I tried to communicate with them in, in, in English. And so it wasn't a forced kind of a thing, although uh, um, um, uh, kind of subversively, I, I was gaining the idea that I was, was going to have to be socialized into using the uh, English language. But it came not, uh, not as a forced thing. And I gather from a lot of other people my age who went to other schools, it was kind of a thing where you either spoke English or, or, or you didn't speak anything at all. Mm -hmm. Well, now click ahead here. It is 2023 and uh, more fluent speakers there with Cherokee Nation than here with the Eastern Band. But as I see it, it seems like the, the language, the Cherokee language programs and the efforts to, to foster the language seems like they kind of ebb and flow. And, and where are we at right now in terms of just the enthusiasm and the progress of, of the expansion of fluency among the Cherokee people? Well, to begin with, a, um, a, uh, <clears throat> a very respected uh, elder in the Eastern Band uh, who passed away uh, some years back made a statement uh, that you have to that you have to understand before you ever begin to consider the efforts. And he told a group of young people, uh, um, a group of educators who were beginning the language revitalization programs back in those days, he addressed them and said, what you're doing is a very good thing. The language needs to come back in his own words. And, uh, but you have to understand before you get started that they didn't take the language away overnight, and you're not going to get it back overnight. Um, and I think that we are experiencing that kind of uh, uh, analysis of, uh, of how the effort works. So it's, it's not something that we can just produce in one semester and we can create a curriculum and an education system and go by that and then we start making speakers within the next year. It takes a long process because we actually have to learn how to teach our own language again. Mm -hmm. We've never, you know, there are no manuals. You can go to any library and find hundreds of books on how to teach Spanish or hundreds of books how to teach, uh, how, you know, how to teach French. But you'll find no books on how to teach Cherokee or any other native languages. There are just no books like that because we've never had to do that. The language was passed down intrinsically in the family and within the community for generations and generations. That's how we, because that's who we were, we didn't need books. But it's come to this time in this century or in this particular time in our evolution where now with the loss of the language, we have to come up with ways to learn how to teach our own language. And how do you do that, Tom? How do you come up with creative ways to not only learn the language, but also teach it? I think we have to apply all the axioms that we've learned. As first language speakers, we have uh, the unique uh, capability and resource to apply how we learned our language on our own because we learned it in the home from our parents. For example, our parents didn't give us study sheets. We didn't work off of a blackboard. We didn't have com uh, computers or we didn't have recordings or we didn't have afternoon practice sessions. The fact of the matter is we learned from actual real time 
real world experience as it was happening and applying that language to how we perceived and how we were going to express our interpretation of the uh, world around us. So we, so in using that context then, we have to somehow or other make uh, the uh, transition or the acquisition of, of the uh, language in such a way that it's normal, it's functional, and it's something that we can use amongst each other and with those who want to learn that as a way of knowing this is the way in which we look at the world this is how we express it. This is how we see it. Mm -hmm. And it's different from English. It's different from any other language. Every tribal language is different from other tribal languages. This is the uniqueness uh, of who, who we are. So we have to promulgate the idea that we speak our language to, be, to, to, to understand the world in our own way and to promulgate that way of looking at the world because it also promulgates who we are. We're talking with Tom Belt. He is a language specialist. He is originally from Cherokee Nation. He now makes his home on the Kuala Boundary of the Eastern Band of Cherokee Indians. We're learning about what goes into a successful language program. We've also got a couple of other guests on our show today, Kaylin Garland and Casty Galavise, and they are part of a growing program which is teaching younger people how to learn the Cherokee language. If you are a native speaker of any language, Cherokee or any of the other native languages out there, give us a call and tell us what you are most proud of by the fact that you speak your language. Our phone lines are open right now, 1-800-99-NATIVE. Give us a call. Share your story on Native America Calling. We'll be right back. Another important election year is coming up, and Native voting rights advocates continue their work to make sure elections are easy and accessible. We'll look at some important cases from around the country and get an overview of voting access trends. That's all on the next Native America Calling. Support for this program provided by Vision Maker Media, who envisions a world changed and healed by understanding Native stories and the public conversations they generate. Nurturing the next generation of storytellers with courage, generosity, creativity, respect, and commitment. 45-plus years of Native stories and Indigenous knowledge through film and media can be found at visionmakermedia.org, whose slogan is, Together We Are Vision Makers. Thank you for tuning in to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We're getting an idea today about what it takes to grow new native language speakers. We're talking with a Cherokee Nation language specialist and second language learners from the Eastern Band of Cherokee in North Carolina. Are you interested in learning your tribal language? Or maybe you've spoken your language your whole life. What does it take to keep a native language strong? That's our question today. Give us a call. Let us know. 1-800-996-2848. Let's take a caller right now. Chanupa, who is listening on Keeley up in Pine Ridge, South Dakota. Hello, Chanupa. Hey, Wopila Kanka Echiche for all the guests that are hanging on to their language. Sean, um, there was a lady down in uh, North Carolina. 
Uh, her name was Patty Grant. And maybe some of the callers might know of her. I went down there and also Ronnie, Ronnie Thornton. He's the direct uh, nephew to that um, Cherokee Choctaw guy. There's a professional wrestler by the name of Wahoo McDaniel. <sighs> Them individuals invited Chinupa down there to see what kind of development they could do on a curriculum. But the thing that I gave them is no different than my two little brothers, the Rand, uh, the Lacebatty brothers, Randy and Gary. They were teaching the children openly through chalk, okay? Chalkboard, like in an aura home, they would say, like I was explaining to some people, they said, what's your dog's name? So his name is Shunka Sapa, meaning black dog. So... Teaching that to children by describing the animals gives more of a positive and a strong venue for that. It's just like being in the home. Like when I was, I was raised under my grandparents and my mom. And so my first education was Lakota. And they say this in our language. And this is to you people that are tuned in and on the show, all you teachers and people hanging on. This is to you guys. And it's a big heart thank you to you guys. On particular, Chante washte, we choye ni tropi, suta ois papo, tokata kya, wakhan jaglena, yagle okte, chanyecha, wa uspeki hena, we chak okte. That's a good way to explain it from the heart of the Lakota nation here on Pine Ridge, and I want you to continue on with giving that language back to your children in the name of the animals to describe how the language preserves itself. Thank you, Sean, for taking my call, and let's continue on to share all our language with the children that need it most. Hoka, wopilatanka. All right, on Chanupa, really appreciate you calling in today and sharing your knowledge and your experience with teaching native languages. And with that, let's go ahead and bring Kaylin into our conversation now. Kaylin Garland, she is from the Snowbird community, Eastern Cherokee. And Kaylin, first off, I want to congratulate you for graduating from the Dariwanashi program, uh, learning the Cherokee language. What prompted you to take on the challenge of learning Cherokee? Um, thank you, thank you. Um, I'd actually learned, well, started learning Cherokee um, at a pretty young age. Actually, me and Cassidy, we started at the same time. There were six-week summer language camps uh, created by Shirley Oswald and my aunt, uh, Mary Brown, and we both took those when we were super young. And I went through the program like seven or eight years, and then I stopped doing any kind of language learning. I was a, in my late teens, a, you know, had cooler things to do, <laughs> bigger things to see, I guess. And um, Until a couple years ago, Cassidy approached me about this program, and he had just went through the Cherokees program, CLMAP, <clears throat> and um, he was like, we're having one in Snowbird. This is, this is going to be the first one in our own community. You know, this is going to be here. And I'm like, oh, gosh, like, this is two years. It's a two-year program. That's, that's a lot of commitment. That's a lot. That's a, you know, big time frame to, to have to settle into. And so <clears throat> my mom came to me, and she was like, Kaylin, you need to do it. And I'm like, man, I haven't done Cherokee language in so long. She's like, Kaylin, like, you know, what are you, you know, in two years, you are not going to have the same speakers that you do right now in two years. In just a short two years, things are still going to be different. 
And so she's emotional. She's crying. (laughs) But um, so I'm like, you know what? You know, she's right. In two years, I may not have the resources I have today. In two years, we may find ourselves with even less speakers, which is has been the case, you know, COVID took a really big hit on our number of speakers and it's constantly declining. So, you know, I'm like, she's not wrong. She's not wrong. I need to do this. Um, I had recently um, had a a loss of a friend. Uh, He actually was a teacher at the summer camp. It still goes on today. The six-week summer camp, he was a teacher and we had lost him earlier that year and it just, I don't know, it just, the timing was just crazy, and I'm just I'm so glad I I went and done it because it it probably changed my life I would say lightly. Uh-huh. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well, Kaylin, now that you've graduated and you've reached uh, a pretty high level of fluency, has it changed your life in terms of just your perspective, how you relate to your people, your community, and even your family? So the program as a whole, um, I don't think we expected to. Um, get a family out of it as far as each other, our teachers, our speakers. We created our own little language community, which became family. And then as we're learning our language, where we began to learn our culture because the language is culture. So we're learning the language, but then we're also getting out, you know, um, growing the garden. We're, you know, up on the skyway picking um, blueberries or huckleberries and we're making quilts and baskets and it's just the way you become in tune with your I guess like what's in your blood you know you you know you start seeing things differently you know the word kadoogie you know like your community you know you you want to be here for your community more because you're realizing you know that's what we did that's that's how we did things and you know when we did the garden, we were asking questions like, you know, did you have help? And, you know, there's just these communities would kind of come to our, our community, our snowbird community um, would come together for certain things. And it was just kind of different to look at because um, nowadays people just aren't as close and community isn't as close, I'll say. And so mm-hmm. it was like, man, we, we really need that. So, it's been a challenge to, to force myself to be there for my community and, you know, show up to the community events, reach out to the elders and stuff like that. So I want to say it's shaped that way too. Like I want to be in tune of what it means to be Cherokee and that sense of community that the Cherokees have always held. And then language too, you know, doing things uh, when you're out foraging, you know, these words that come to you that, um, are different in Cherokee and, you know, there's, there's some words that you just can't explain in English and uh, describe. And it's, it's a different, you look at, you look at the world in a different viewpoint. I guess I would say you start trying to align your ideals with the Mm -hmm. ideals of all of those before you. And Kaylin, now that you've graduated from the program, what are your goals going forward? and, And what do you hope to accomplish as a Cherokee speaker within your community? So I didn't realize um, how much this program would affected me, would have affected me. But you know, I want to say the growth the last two years. I want to say this program led me to help find my identity as a Cherokee woman, because along with you know the language and culture and relationships that we had, you know, it just 
learning these things, you know, the the roles of women, the roles of men, you know, we're a matriarchal society, um, the medicines, all of that stuff, it just, it just kind of solidified who I am being Cherokee. And so going forward, I want to share that. I want to share what it means to be Cherokee. And as far as the the language goes, you know, going through this program, I'm like, man, we have something really good here. Um, we need to keep working on it. You know, the the students going through this program, there's hope here. Um, mm-hmm. So, like now, I'm in this job. You know, I want to. I'm focusing on right now creating resources. I want to create posters to hang down here, and I want to do it in our snowbird dialect. I want. I want to make books. I want to, you know get this out, I think I think this program has led me to decide that I wanna whatever I'm doing, I want it to be in the Cherokee language and revitalizing it. Uh-huh. And I think that's that's my goal to share my knowledge and share what I know and encourage people to look into the language because that's ultimately encouraging them to, to seek into their own culture and identity too. This is all wonderful to hear, Kaylin, and I'm interested to know your mom, who uh, kind of gave you that strong arm and inspired you to, to take up the language. How does she feel now that you've completed the program? I imagine you probably speak Cherokee maybe better than she does now. Oh, well, she doesn't speak at all. She doesn't speak, read, or write, or anything. I was not raised in a traditional household. She'll be the first to tell you that. She was like, that's why I made my kids go to summer camp. Like that's why for you know we didn't have choice. Like what are we gonna say no to our parents? <laughs> um, so we we had to go. She pushed us into this, you know. So I feel like she's always known, you know, the importance of it, and uh, I'm thankful for that now. But you know, like I said, she was ugly crying, and she'll tell you to this day. She's like, it just makes me ugly cry when my kids talk <laughs> when I hear them speaking Cherokee. So. Um, yeah, so she's pushing, and uh, we're working now together, and she's creating relationships further on to help me do what I'm doing. So it's been it's been good. <laughs> and Kaylin, what's been the hardest part of of learning Cherokee as a second language? Is it the vocabulary? Is it just understanding? Like, as you mentioned and Tom mentioned, just the way to actually think in the language? What's been the biggest challenge for you? Um, for me, I don't know if it was from my previous uh, exposure to the language. It Once we started the program, where I hadn't done it for so many years, it was kind of like dipping your toe, and I was kind of easing back in. But once I was in, I was okay. Um, but I think just from um, experience with, you know, some of uh, the learners in my cohort and the cohorts after us, you know, the sounds alone in Cherokee language are very hard. Um, and just like the flow and cadence of the language, I think it's hard to get used to, like pr- big on pronunciation, like, you know, <laughs> saying our program is there name any, here was <laughs> a challenge. I mean, is there any similarities to English that you can draw from, or is it just completely different, no, absolutely, the whole approach? absolutely not. I, I actually have a whole, uh, I've made a presentation recently, um, Cast went with me uh, on one of them, and I have to explain, like, this is an ancient Iroquoian language. There's nothing else like it in the world, so therefore there's no resources. As Tom said, you know, they spoke it. They didn't learn it. They just spoke it. 
and that's how it's been carried on. But now we're like, okay, well, we didn't grow up speaking it, so we're having to backtrack. So learning Cherokee from an English perspective is also really hard for speakers, and it creates a disconnect because we're trying to find out how to say things and do things in Cherokee, but they don't understand exactly what we're trying to get sometimes. And the language is so specific, it makes translating and communicating a little harder, too, just because of the of how specific. Um, Cherokee is a polysynthetic language, which means each piece of the word has meaning. So um, I've been taught one word can be up to like 20,000 different um, meanings from one wow. word. Yeah. Wow. So um, I, I like to emphasize that, that every part of the word is important and you have to be so specific, like on the T to even get words or phrases from a speaker too. So sounds really complex. Yeah, yeah, it sounds just <laughs> extremely complex, but but also just yes. really rewarding and fascinating, uh, this journey that you're describing. Let's hear from Cassidy now. And Cassidy, you're also uh, a language specialist. You're a teacher uh, with the language program that Kaylin participates in. And tell us a little bit about your journey as a Cherokee speaker. When did you first start talking, speaking the language? So I've been in the same program that Kaylin was in. Um, and it was 12 years ago, or not 12, when I was 12. So 17 years ago now is when I started that six-week language program with the, the beloved woman, Shirley Oswald. Um, and I've done the same thing, went through it for multiple years, pretty much until high school. But after high school, as you graduated, it was kind of what well, I guess I was kind of guided to. What I've always wanted to do was actually teach the language to begin with. So I kept on going with my language journey um, and actually... When I went to school at Western, I was in the teaching track for elementary education, but then the um, adult language program opened up in Cherokee, and I took a break from it, so I actually haven't got my degree yet. So I actually took a break from it because I always said that that school will always be there, but this opportunity may not be. So I went ahead and took that two-year program, and after I graduated, it, it just so happened that the Dottie Wolnish program opened up, and I was able to get the current job I'm in now um, but I've, I've always enjoyed this it's I guess it's something I've always wanted to do now Cassidy as I understand it the program uses a scale that measures fluency in the Cherokee language so for somebody like yourself uh, a second uh, it's a second language to you how does that scale work how are you able to determine you know what level different speakers are at so they're trying to create that scale right now, I guess trying to fine-tune a little bit more. But the way the scale works, it goes from 1 to 10, where a 10 being a first-language speaker like Tom Belt, and then the other nine are broken into three sections. So 1 through 3 is a beginner, uh, 4, 5, 6 is an intermediate, and um, six or 7, 8, 9 is an advanced. And each one of those are broken up into three categories, uh, low, mid, and high. So it'd be like a, if you were two, you'd be a beginner mid. And okay. so they're trying to create that assessment to help uh, more accurately see where you are as a second language learner. And Cassidy, where are you at on that one to 10 scale? <laughs> so I just recently assessed um, when, when Kaylin uh, graduated from the program, not before yet, 
And the last one was uh, a level eight out of a 10. Wow. So you're really moving along. Congratulations. So uh, I would imagine your goal is, is to become a 10 at some point, right? Yes, yes. Uh, it's always to continue learning. And the same thing the speakers will say is like, I'm, I'm still learning today as well. So it'll never stop. And is that something you put a timeline on? Like, do you think to yourself, I want to be a 10 by such and such a date? Or is it just more of a journey of life that you don't really put uh, a date on? Um, it's kind of, I guess, both, but more so it's the journey itself. Um, I'm always going to continue learning. Even if they say I'm a 10, I'll probably never consider myself a 10 because I feel like there's still so much more to learn, so much more to gain uh, from this journey itself. We're talking with Casty Galavis and Kaylin Garland, and they are both Cherokee speakers. Snowbird community that is in Graham County. It's an interesting little community. It's kind of off the main Koala boundary, about an hour away from Cherokee, North Carolina in Graham County. And it's a small community, a very traditional community of Cherokee people. And they are proud representatives of the Snowbird community. Everyone looks forward to celebrating the holidays. Remember to celebrate responsibly. Holidays are filled with laughter, joy, and creating memories, which can include a drink or two. Remember, moderation is vital. Here's a tip to help. Plan ahead and designate a driver or arrange a ride-sharing service. By celebrating responsibly, you ensure holidays filled with joy, love, and cherished moments, and you keep yourself and your loved ones safe. Cheers to safe celebrations. Support by Diageo and the Multicultural Consortium for Responsible Drinking. More at drinkiq.com. We are glad you chose to listen to us today on Native America Calling. I'm your host, Sean Spruce, and we're hearing about efforts to promote the Cherokee language among the Eastern Band of Cherokee Indians in Western North Carolina. Join our conversation by calling 1-800-996-2848. Tell us about your native language. If you're a speaker, how long did it take you to learn the language? And what are you doing to foster and promote your language, among others, in your community. We've got Cassidy Galavis on the line right now. And Cassidy, listening to you and listening to Kaylin earlier, and she talked about how the language has changed her, it's changed her perspective. And I want to ask you now, because you have a, a number of first-generation speakers there in Snowbird community, what is it like being able to communicate with those elders in your community in the Cherokee language now? Um, I, uh, I guess lucky and I feel grateful that I do have the opportunity. Uh, the Eastern Band Snowbirds community hosts a quarter of the remaining speakers left. So I'm just thankful that I have more of an opportunity to, to practice and speak with the speakers because in my, my family, my family's last speaker passed when I was two. So I actually don't have any, um, but I'm grateful to have this opportunity, more of an opportunity to speak with our speakers that are located here in Snowbird. Uh, if I go out at any point in time to the store or anything like that, usually there's a good chance I'll get to see one and have a chance to conversate with them. And Cassidy, in addition to being a, a language speaker and a, and a teacher, you're also a parent. You have a young daughter. Are you teaching her the Cherokee language? Yes, and it's not teaching as in the sense like I do here. I think it's more so kind of hopefully in the sense like Tom Bell and the original speakers where we just talk to them and hopefully they'll pick up that way. On occasion, you'll have to throw in English to make sure they understand, but then try to go back into Cherokee as much as possible. Tom, how does it make you feel listening to Cassidy and Kaylin, young people so enthusiastic, so passionate about teaching Cherokee language? 
it gives me great hope and it makes me realize just how important <clears throat> all the things that we've been talking about, the importance of the language and what it means. It brings to mind just how important it is when young people are taking up that banner and taking up that crusade and realizing just how just how important it is, not only to other people or not just to the idea of what language means to the world, but what it means to themselves. And this is probably the most important part of it, is to uh, revitalize not just the language, but to revitalize who we are. Now, Tom, we were talking a little bit before the show, and we mentioned the numbers, 2,000 fluent speakers, Cherokee Nation, a little more than 100 fluent speakers, Eastern Band. And you told me that sometimes you'll be at conferences and you'll have linguists and they'll come up to you and say, hey, you know what? You've reached a tipping point. There aren't enough people who can speak the language fluently to keep the language thriving. Uh, so what do you say to those people? Because this is a wonderful conversation, but then you have somebody comes along and says, hey, but let's be real about it. What's your response when you hear those kind of comments? I realize that by, by, um, by whatever standards they use to judge um, uh, the uh, health or, uh, or the uh, status of a language <clears throat> that uh, many languages of the world uh, probably are, are in the same situation where one could say by those standards that they are in fact. Um, uh, and, I, and I believe that they refer to them as, as morbid languages, which basically means that they're dying. Uh, um, but uh, my response to that comes from our way of looking at the world and the way that we uh, um, adjudicate things by the standards we use in our own culture, and as long and and the old people would tell us, as long as there are two speakers left, the language is not dead. And and I've heard you describe the language. I mean, it's more than just a way of speaking. It's a way to think. It's a way to connect with culture. I mean, there's just so many other levels of it. I mean, share a little bit more of your philosophy on just why the language is so significant and how it unites all Cherokee people. As uh, Kalen said just a little bit earlier, there are, uh, it's, uh, we have completely different languages. I mean, in the sense that, uh, that as, as she said, we have a uh, polysynthetic language, which, which means it's made up of syllables and sounds. So one word, we have, for example, a word that, that has 17 syllables in it, and it's pronounced, we do, we need data going. Uh, we need data again. And if you wrote it out, it's 17 different syllables. And basically, what it means in English is when they have almost finished giving permission to you and I from a distance. Mm -hmm. And it's just one word. So it's very hard to It's very hard to explain. Uh, that except if you understand what a polysynthetic language is, all of those concepts in English are all encoded in that word by, by sometimes by just one sound. Really. So uh, the immense, as as Kaylin said, the immense uh, um, importance of it being absolutely a precise language, is is the idea behind what the language is. Our culture, when we're asked about what our culture means or what is the culture 
let's say, of the Katua people, of the uh, Cherokee people. We're asked that a lot of times. All Native people are asked, you know, um, what is your culture about? My answer to that is I think all of us as Native people uh, come from cultures of problem solving. We have problem solving cultures and the tools we, and the tool that we use to make, to make problems, to deal with the problems, the everyday problems of the world and life, um, the tool that we used to fix that was our language. So it had to be precise and it had to be exact and it had to be in such a way that it meant something so you would understand what to do about it. Uh, let me give one, one example, the word for Having sympathy for, you know, we look out, especially at this time of the year during this season, we look out and, of course, we think about the homeless. We think about people like that. And the word that comes up in English is that uh, sometimes we will classify that, them as being pitiful, you know, uh, that, that uh, well, you know, we use lots of terms. They're in need. They're, they're destitute. They are disadvantaged. All of those different kind of tunes, but it evokes a sense in us that we quantify by, by uh, saying, "Well, <clears throat> I pity them." You know, we uh, and and uh, we have a word that we use to that we think okay. that, that 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 we used to say that we will call somebody who's in that bad situation. We will say, That means they are living in a bad bad way or a pitiful way and stuff. But really, the word uyotla comes from the word ayotla, which means uh, small, uh -huh. you know. Okay, and it comes from the word that we use for uh, a small amount, gayotla. Ayotla is also the word that we use for child, okay. you know. Yeah. So it, you know, I mean, that's how a polysynthetic language works. So, um, that's really oh, fascinating. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's just so in depth, and uh, just yeah. the, it's a, it's a lot of layers, a lot yeah. of layers. Yeah, the idea of of saying that they are that using that word doesn't mean that they're pitiful. Mm -hmm. It means if it's the same word as we use for child, it means that they're childlike. It means that they are helpless, as any child is. A child can't function, can't do for themselves, and all of that. So what that means in our language when we say somebody's uyotla, it means that they're a child. It's a call to do something about it, to be responsible for it, as you would any child who was in need of help. Okay. It is not to, to sympathize with them or to pity them. It is saying that we have to do something for them. It's a problem-solving mechanism, uh, to term mechanism, Okay. Uh, that adds a lot of insight, <clears throat> Tom, and just into the, the significance of this language and how it pertains to Cherokee culture. And I also want to talk about the syllabary because one of the unique aspects of the Cherokee language is that it also has a written form in addition to spoken. And you recently appeared in an episode of the PBS series Native America, and you helped an Eastern band archaeologist by the name of Bo Carroll translate an excerpt of Cherokee syllabary that he found in a cave. What's the significance of understanding what a Cherokee person wrote on a cave wall, what, 200 years ago? Well, to begin with, uh, Sequoia, who invented the, uh, the uh, syllabary, intended it 
intended it to be a tool, a literary tool to be used not to learn how to speak the language, but, to, but for speakers to learn how to write. So the idea of is, is simply that it's a form of writing, so it's a form of documenting things. It's like any symbol, right? It's like drawing pictures, it's like anything else. So the, advent, so the uh, existence of these, of uh, the use of that kind of writing, in those places that we consider sacred, mm -hmm. any in caves and in underground, because we consider the fact, like most Native Americans do, that we live in three worlds. One is the underworld, one is the surface world, and one is the upper world. We're all a part of, of that. And the underworld has always been sacred. It's, it's, it's where life comes from. Uh, <clears throat> uh, it is the ground that we are connected to. It is what we stand on. We are a part of that. Uh, I, 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 uh, uh, when I, I never say that I'm <clears throat> that I'm I'm from North Carolina anymore. When I refer to my heritage, mm -hmm. I never say that all Cherokees are from North Carolina. I use the term "we are of North Carolina." Because we are of this ground, we are of this place, like any rock, like any tree. So <clears throat> that that says that we're connected to the ground. It it's a teaching that we follow, saying that the world that we stand on and what's underneath it is sacred to us. That's where life comes from. All right. So when they documented, when they went to these places in order to. Do, uh, um, uh, t to perform certain kinds of uh, necessary ceremonies. The writing of that on that is to document for further generations what went on there and, and basically to enhance and to perpetuate the idea that these are sacred places to us. Okay. Yeah, it was a really fascinating episode of uh, the PBS Native America series. And Kaylin, I want to ask you um, the syllabary. Is that included as part of your instruction and part of your learning in the Dariwanashi language program? But under a special circumstance, this actually might be a question casket answer pretty good too. But when we were going through the program, we started, um, Cass went through this too. Um, it's different now, but it was a low hour, low paying job. <laughs> And it was an hourly job, so if we, we weren't there, we didn't get paid. So um, we were sent home with some work to do. And, and one of our – I learned the syllabary in the summer camp that we learned as kids. But in the program, we were sent um, a book home. And it was actually one from Cherokee Nation. It was a CSA rights book. And we were assigned to do that over a week maybe. <clears throat> It was fine. I went through it fine. But um, a couple of my cohort, when they had started, they didn't know but maybe three to five Cherokee words, maybe not even that much. But they they went through the book and learned their syllabary, and they come out of it knowing at least 60% or more, I would say. And then by the end of the program, it was getting close to, you know, probably 95% and above. There were only a few that tripped them up. So from that book is what they learned. And then um, Cass began to use it in our instruction, and so it just kind of snowballed into into using it. So, and I'm not mm -hmm. sure what the, they're doing now, but that's what we did. And so I was really impressed. They they turned around in a week and were reading and writing when we came back from our break. It was 
is mind-boggling. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> really that's impressive. amazing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Just instant uh, syllabary proficiency. Just add water. It sounds like. And Cassidy, how <laughs> about then, you? What's yeah, your? I was, I was <laughs> Cassidy, what's your your connection to the syllabary, and how do you approach learning syllabary as compared to the spoken word of Cherokee? Um, so we end up starting with the phonetics first, um, mainly because it's the grammar portion um, that makes it a little bit hard to use the syllabary itself. But we use syllabary a little bit later, but I mainly use the phonetics to begin with, uh, just to show them and help understand them. Uh, because as a second language learner, I don't have the mindset that Tom Belt does in understanding where this word truly comes from. So the, English, the grammar is what I have to use to help explain it to other uh, second language learners. But towards the middle of the program or, yeah, towards the middle of the program, we'll start incorporating um, syllabary some more and then use it throughout uh, over time until the end of their program. Okay. And uh, we're about to wrap up the show. We got about another minute, but Kaylin, I wanna ask you for, for closing comments here. What would you say to somebody, a young Cherokee person right now listening to our show who doesn't know the language, maybe their mom or their dad is kind of pushing them the way your mom pushed you, but they're not quite sure. They just don't know if it's worth their time and their investment in learning Cherokee. What do you want to say to that person, Kaylin? That is a heavy question. I will say just do it. There is no other time than now. Um, you know, by the day, it's you know, our numbers are dwindling by the month, month to month. You know, our speakers, um, we're losing. Just do it. And it's okay. Cass, teach, the number one thing he teaches us is it's okay to fail. It's okay to mess up. Cherokee is not something you're going to be perfect at. If, you, if, if somebody gets overwhelmed, you know, it's okay. You know, there's a lot of humor in Cherokee language. You know, once you, once you, once you start, you begin to feel it sure after it, it'll come it'll come just like practice it, it takes a lot of endurance but it's so 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 worth it that is all the time we have for today's show i want to thank all of our guests today tom belt kaylin garland and Casty gallavis for sharing insights and perspectives on learning and fostering the cherokee language tune in to native america calling again tomorrow when we'll discuss the ongoing need to keep voting easy and accessible for Native voters. I'm Sean Spruce. Support by Sanofsky Chambers Law, championing tribal sovereignty and Native American rights since 1976, from opioids litigation to treaty rights to tribal self-governance, with offices in Washington, D.C., New Mexico, California, and Alaska. Sanofsky Chambers Law. Support by BNSF Railway, proudly supporting the nation's economy by moving the goods that feed, supply, and power communities across the country. More at bnsf.com slash tribal relations. Anika Yali, Anika Lopti, Ale, Witajetla, Unilucheti, Tehatla no Hetiska, Tehino Sehesti, Na go well a yella nudan hadega gutlai, Unina Esti. It's a dulit a delo ho histina, healthcare.gov slash coverage, Witatla no Heta, Ale, one eight hundred three one eight two five nine six. He are get to know some Medicare, Una Medicaid, 
Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kwanic Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davids. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.